This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, you're hearing from Doctor of Physical Therapy, Franco Calabrese. Franco works with React Physical Therapy in downtown Chicago. Now, truth be told, Franco is also my cousin, but the further truth is that we really became close and connected because of his brilliance as a rehab specialist. In the past few years, we have shared many clients and athletes, and Franco has also helped me in my own rehab of both a lower body and a shoulder injury. Franco really knows this stuff. I've been excited to have him on for a long time, and I know you're gonna enjoy every bit of this episode, including a nice embarrassing story about yours truly. Listen in. All right, Franco, thank you uh, for being with us today. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate this. For those of you that don't know, uh, Mike and I are cousins, and I'm sure I will share a tidbit of uh, some <laughs> some humor, some memories that I had from our, our large family parties when we were younger. I can already envision at least one story that might come out. I don't know if you remember this. God, we must have been, I don't know, like nine or 10 around that age range. So we're at, you know, Cucina Biagio now. It is now used to be super, right? It used to be super Rosa super before Rosa, they renamed yeah. it. And we, I don't know if we were playing 20 questions or some <laughs> stupid game. And the answer was Jose Canseco. <laughs> and you were adamant that it was Jose. And I was like, no, dude. I was like, you pronounce it Jose. And I forget what adult we came to like moderate this argument. And they're like, it's Jose. And I was like, see, I told you. And you were so pissed off that you like stormed away. But yeah, we couldn't have been older than like nine or 10. And like, I just remember like going back and forth. You're like, no, 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 look, it's J-O. Like, how else would you pronounce that? You know, I've, it was exactly the one I knew you were going to bring up. Okay, good. I've, I've, been, I've, been a, I've clearly been a sore loser from the start. That hasn't changed. I'm still the same sore loser. And I still have the same mentality. I just stick my heel in the mud. And no matter yeah. how wrong I know I am, I got to just stick with it. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I just had to get that out before uh, I forgot, and you know, we kind of delved into the, yeah. the the meat of the story here. Yeah. Well, you know, and the truth—I was thinking about this earlier. The truth is, I mean, not that we wouldn't be close anyway, but I think you getting a PT and me being in performance—that that really connected us the past couple of years. Because now we've Absolutely. we've started working together. We've we've shared athletes. The fact that you're a very good PT definitely brought us closer as a family. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but that's—I was thinking about that earlier too. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that, you know, like we've been able to bounce off each other, you know, I, I think is uh, super important. I'm sure we'll delve into this uh, a little later with some of the questions, but kind of the way that I've seen, at least working with my patients and kind of the way that I've evolved, you know, I, I've been doing this for five years. I'll give a little bit of background too. So my name is Franco Calabrese. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. The field kind of transitioned. It used to be a bachelor's degree. So our owner actually graduated from UIC in the late 90s, and physical therapy used to just be a bachelor's degree. So even in you know the last two decades, a lot has changed in our kind of profession. It went from a bachelor's to a master's in a short window, 
and then transition into a doctorate level program. And I, I think that is part of the reason that the, the physical therapy profession doesn't get as much recognition for what it does is because it's a little newer or younger compared to some of the other, you know, traditional, you know, physical medicine or, you know, the physician medicine or chiropractic care or massage therapy that has, maybe has a longer track record where um, I think from the beginning, people don't know what a physical therapist does. And myself, just in my five-year career with this and kind of bridging backwards, I would say the thing that I think offers more kind of uniqueness from my perspective is that this isn't the only career I've had. I've actually been a career changer. I restarted where I've gone in life. You know, I started physical therapy school at 29. I was a, a bond trader from 22 to 26, you know, with the allure of, oh, okay, like, I can make a lot of money. You know, I, I never got into that field. I never became a, a, you know, a futures trader to see the career longevity of it. It was the opportunity that was presented to me when I got out of college. You know, I mean, growing up the way that we did, it was always school, work, school, work, school, work. You know, so it kind of scared the shit out of me to graduate college and not really know where I was going to go. You know, I started off at the University of Michigan thinking I was going to, you know, follow the business track. And then I started to like psychology. So I was a psychology major. I added Spanish as another major. So I was a double major, but most people were joking, like, what are you going to do? Analyze, you know, Spanish people when you get out of college. I didn't really know where that was going to take me, you know, so that first job opportunity presented itself and went well, you know, in the first couple of years was making good money. Um, but you know, the financial crisis hit and the kind of way that we were taught to trade, it was, you know, we didn't have the bells and whistles. We didn't have a lot of the analytics. We didn't have the computer programmers that were coming out of MIT and Caltech that these big companies were paying a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to use their algorithms to kind of analyze the market. So we were kind of left in the dust and we were using an outdated system to work where, you know, the days of like, oh, okay, I had a bad day. I lost a bunch of money. Now it became, okay, I had a good week. Then I had a bad day. So I lost that. I had a bad month. You know, the last six years of my career doing that, I didn't make a dime that I took home. So I basically lived off savings because that job was solely commission-based. So the tail end of that really kind of focused me on like, all right, what else am I going to do with my life? Uh, I have to restart now. People were getting promotions going into the next career tract of their careers or professions or maybe switching jobs once or twice there where I was like, okay, now I got to start over. What do I do? Did a little bit of research, you know, did the quick Google best top 10 professions or careers to get into. Always knew that I, I liked kind of working with people or, you know, thought that I would be good at it. At, at a young age, I thought I was, you know, I think like a lot of people, I was like, oh, I'll be a doctor. I'll make a lot of money. I'll have a big house, <laughs> big car, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, did some research, did some uh, shadowing, some observations, talked to some people that I knew. And I was like, okay, like, you know, physical therapy seems to be a profession that I can go back to school. It's not going to take the same road maybe as the physician, you know, the traditional medical school road, I was like, I don't want to, you know, wait another seven or eight years until I get a career. You know, I kind of want to speed up that process, but take it seriously. So went back to school. I remember, you know, I was 27 years old taking biology, you know, 101 at Roosevelt University with 19 year olds in that short window of time that I had graduated. Just, you know, obviously we're not that old. We're in our mid thirties, but just in that short window, the way that that like being in the classroom had changed was like eye-opening to me. Like I went from using a pen and paper to now everybody had a laptop in class. 
you know, just that kind of five year gap, like made me feel like, Oh crap. I remember like sitting there handwriting notes with 18 year olds as they're all like, I am in each other on G chat and I'm the only one looking at the professor. So I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a long road. So it took about, you know, fast <laughs> yeah. forward, you know, it took a year and a half just to take the science classes I needed to apply to physical therapy school. You know, so I worked at that time as a part-time leasing agent for a friend of mine from high school that worked for a real estate firm. So I was making some money part-time while I was going to school part-time, you know, and then uh, fast forward another couple of years, it's 2012. I'm almost 30 years old and I start physical therapy school, you know, kind of scared, like, did I make the right decision? What am I doing? Am I going to like this? I mean, I didn't even know. Obviously, you had to do observation hours in different kind of fields. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know the track that you could go in with physical therapy, the different kind of like subspecialties within that group. I didn't even know. I mean, my first clinical rotation outside of physical therapy school, I did some wound care. Like, so I was changing dressings of people's wounds. You know, like that's a subspecialty within the physical therapy realm that most people probably don't even know existed. I didn't even know until I was well in the physical therapy school. So just kind of the, the way that my life has opened up just from, you know, changing careers, taking prerequisite courses to then even just starting grad school was, you know, ridiculous, you know, but I think it's allowed me to kind of be a better clinician and better physical therapist. I think I have a better connection with people having different experience. You know, some of my classmates went straight from undergraduate to graduate school. So like they didn't have that job. They don't, didn't have that real world experience of kind of dealing with the real life. Like, Oh, okay. What happens now when, you know, things don't happen according to the textbook, you know, I was able to read outside of the lines. I mean, you know, as well as anybody, that huge important piece of connecting with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody can regurgitate information that you learn from a textbook, but are you really listening and hearing what the person in front of you is saying? And that is something that I'm sure, you know, like you hone over time, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't get out of school. You don't, you know, see your first client, your personal training client. I don't see my first patient and like, Oh yeah, I knock it out of the park. Their pain's gone. I'm doing all this. You don't get, you know, immediate results with your clients. So the now seeing the, the, benefit of having a different career prior to this, mm-hmm. I think is what has allowed me to have the success I've had where, you know, I have a deeper connection with patients and, and even within the company that I work with, I work for React Physical Therapy, a private outpatient physical therapy clinic in the Chicagoland area. We have four locations in the city. I'm currently at a River North location, but, you know, I've been able to transition as a treating therapist to kind of now I'm on my second clinic where I'm the clinic director and, you know, I don't currently have any other physical therapists under us right now because obviously, you know, COVID hit, we were a year into only being here, but I've kind of been able to see that transition and it's led me to the, you know, brief short-term success that I've had. And I think has allowed me to be a better physical therapist and connect with patients better. And, you know, I I think the bumps and bruises that I've seen earlier in life have allowed me to realize that a, I can't get every patient better. Um, not everybody is going to get better right away. And, you know, kind of taking those day-to-day lessons and kind of building on them and not taking home with me per se, like the, the work that I used to take home as a trader where I was constantly anxious about, oh my God, am I going to make money? How am I going to do this? Where now I still take my work home in a sense where, as you know, like 
the area, the health and fitness performance, you constantly learn. You know, I used to think like, oh yeah, like I'm never going to, you know, like take my work home with me or do what I did before, but I enjoy what I do a lot more. So it's not as arduous of a process of like, okay, let me just go read that like article. Let me go see that video or, or let me see what they're doing and kind of planning or strategically kind of going forward with everything. Yeah, well, and there's something about choosing your career. This whole the change of career thing is so common now. To make that decision at you know 19, 20, 21 years old, it's it's a tough decision. And, yep. and it, I'm, you know, at some point, people just stuck with it. That was it. Once you chose, yep. you you just you stuck with the job. You didn't leave. Nowadays, there's so many easy ways out. So you know, it's so common to say, I don't know what I was thinking. I probably followed what I thought was money. Both of our grandmothers wished that we were physicians. By the yep. way, <laughs> you yep. know. Oh yeah. So, you know, you, you got to choose your career at a point where you were more mature. It was a logical decision and you got to actually have experience about what do I like? And you're right. You do have to hone your skills in this profession. I had a, the director of my graduate school program was on the podcast a few weeks ago. And that was something we talked about. Our graduate school program worked with 200 community uh, members actively every day, yep. 50 people in the gym every day. Thank God, because I walked out into my first gym and was like, yep come in. I can talk to you. I can assess you. I can listen. I can hear what you're saying. And I could do that on day one. And that was such a rarity. I've seen so many trainers come in over the years that you're right. That's their struggle point. They are as smart as it gets, but to communicate and to gain the client and to gain comfort, it's a tough skill. It's a tougher yeah. skill than most people realize. Absolutely. I mean, just think about, I mean, from our standpoint, we both have to cue people, right? So the same cue is not going to work for everybody. Right. Or like being able to say, you know, like, you know, push your knees out or like, you know, some people do have a better, what we like to call it, like health literacy. Like, so somebody knows what flexion, extension, rotation, what that means, know your audience, right? Like sounds cliche, but like knowing the person in front of you, like yeah. asking them like that initial setup. And I, you know, I heard you talk about this on one of your podcasts, like that initial time that you meet someone to get that buy-in is mm -hmm. super important, right? Like, okay, what do you do for a living? What's your exercise background? Like my, you know, 75 year old patient that thinks the only thing you should, you know, oh, I'm only here because my doctor told me I need to go see, try the physical therapy that I like to call it. It's like, well, you know, I'm a physical therapist. You don't say you go try cardiology, you go see a cardiologist, right? <laughs> right. So just kind of the, I wouldn't say stigma, but just like the, the uninformed portion of kind of what physical therapy, the field of physical therapy and what a physical therapist can do, you know, is huge. So the, the way that we talk to people and like delve into information and I've had some students over the years as I've been a clinical instructor and I actually have somebody uh, that one of my colleagues is, you know, out of town. So he's observing me. And the, the one thing that I, I kind of reiterate, and I'm sure you've kind of had this advice for, you know, young trainers or people new to the industry is you're not going to know everything, you know, in your first year, second year, whatever, you know, be okay with making mistakes. Like, you need to, you know, and I even told him, I was like, however you process, like, I like to still write things down. Like, I don't type stuff into my computer the first time because I'll have my own shorthand or I jot things down. That's the way I process things. Like, I tell the students that I've had, I don't want you to be a robot of me. You know, like, there's certain things that, like, you know, structure, form, evaluation techniques that need to be there so that I can evaluate your skills as a physical therapist. But you need to develop your own kind of, skill set or you need to take from the different instructors you see and be, see like, oh, I like the way that they cue patients better. I like the way that they set up that evaluation scheme so that they have a good order of stuff. 
And I was like, that ability now has allowed me to be quicker in my subjective analysis with patients where it just doesn't have to be me asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. It's okay, I'm going to ask these series of questions. Okay, now as I'm taking measurements or I'm taking you through range of motion or as I'm taking you through movement analysis, I'm continuing to ask questions so it feels a little bit more authentic and less robotic mm -hmm. with the patient. And, you know, it allows them, you know, how many times have you been yourself as a patient in a doctor's office and they're like, oh, what questions do you have or like anything else you want to say? And you kind of like, oh, I'm good. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this. <laughs> right. Kind of allowing that natural conversation to come out where, you know, I'll have a patient that's like forgets to tell me that they just changed their running shoes as they increase their mileage. Like, okay, that's, yes. a, you know, it seems, you know, minute to them. Like, oh, there's no way that makes a difference. Like, okay, well, yeah, maybe that made, you know, your foot placement or the stress at your, you know, foot, ankle, knee, whatever, uh, just change slightly where now you're kind of experiencing that discomfort or that's yeah. why, you know, you kind of went from that mid-level threshold of discomfort to now why you're having that, you know, higher level of pain. So that's a big question I have. I'm going to go down the, um, you know, that route of, well, that route in general, but I'm going to go back to that. Before we do, can you define pain for people? Why do people feel pain? What are the different types of pain? Yep. So my best attempt at this, and this is something that I've learned a lot more over the years, pain is insanely complex, right? It's not as easy as, you know, maybe the media or, you know, the news outlets make it seem so that the easiest way I can explain it for me. And there are a lot of people, you know, in my area, you know, in the physical therapy profession that are way more versed in terms of pain because they spend a lot of their time with patients that are what we characterize as chronic pain where we're trying to move away from that terminology because it has such a bad connotation mm -hmm. where we like to call it persistent pain. But the simplest definition for pain is pain is actually an experience, not a sensation. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. So the sensation that or the things that we feel is called nociception. So like the, the little receptors that we have in our body that kind of can experience some pressure or experience stimulus. Pain is a sensation that is controlled by our brain, right? So the, the easiest example I can experience or that I can elaborate on with that is pain can be present in the absence of physical damage. And what that means is that 99% of the people that come into a physical therapy clinic or the people that I see, their number one goal is I want to get out of pain, mm -hmm. right? So I explain to them like, okay, that's great, you know, but what about, you know, not everything that you have Yes, there's muscle tears, muscle strains, there's breaks, there's stress fractures, there's all these things that lead up. Yes, there's usually physical damage that causes that initial experience of pain. But from a physiological standpoint, bones will heal. Muscle tears can heal. Ligaments through surgery can be fixed, but pain can still be present. So the best way that I explain it to people is, you know, what about you know, you go and squat, you know, heavy weight, and maybe your body is not capable of handling that. So your body will react. Pain is a defense mechanism sometimes too, right? Like when it's cold out in the winter, you shrug your shoulders, right? Your body goes in a protective mode. Our pain is, you know, a way to kind of protect our body in a sense. People like to think pain's a bad thing, right? Yes, 
pain that has been existent or chronic persistent pain. So pain that's been lasting longer than six months by definition as we're in that realm versus acute pain, something that is a new onset. So, you know, you stub your toe, you sprain your ankle for the first time, you bump your knee, you know, you bend over and pick something up heavy. That's more that what we'd like to call acute pain. I think, you know, I don't even think I have, you know, a great grasp on like the true complexity of pain. So I try to make that as simple as I can with patients. So I tell them, you know, because everyone's like, well, why am I having pain? Right? So I like to tell them, okay, well, tell me a little bit about when your pain started. Was there a precipitating event? Did you have a specific mechanism of injury? Sometimes what we like to call is insidious pain. So like pain that just kind of comes up out of nowhere. Like, oh, I didn't do anything. I woke up and like my back hurts, my neck hurts, my shoulder hurts. Oftentimes those experience, you know, that pain experience that we have is a result of our body didn't like something that we did. And so now it's fighting back, sending us signals like, hey, something's going on here. So I'm giving you a warning sign and that warning sign manifests in pain. But it's something that can be treated, you know, and oftentimes I tell, you know, patients, I'm like, what finally, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, I've been dealing with X, Y, and Z for, you know, so many months, so many years, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, have you seen a physical therapist before? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, what finally made you come to see me? Um, and they're like, oh, you know, I, I just couldn't take it. Or, you know, the biggest thing a lot of people say is like, I have a high threshold for pain. Yeah. And that's an okay answer now that I realize that because the pain is unique to the individual, right? Like I always tell people when I ask them like, oh, what's your pain? You know, like part of the game that we play, you know, sometimes it's for insurance purposes. Sometimes it's to give feedback back to people, right? Like people like to see objective data, right? Like I want to see like where my gains are. Like for you, it's like, okay, I want to see my bench press or my squat or my time come down mm -hmm. with a, you know, endurance thing. For me, you know, I tell people I'm not just met, you know, like the biggest goal again, is people like I want to get out of pain and I tell them, yeah, that's my biggest initial goal with you. But I was like, if that's the only thing we focus on, I'm failing you and you are setting yourself up for a potential, you know, frustrating road with rehab. Yes, I want to lower that pain level so that we can get you to move better. My goal is for all my patients is promote movement, right? A lot of times it's that vicious cycle of people are in pain because they don't move enough and they don't want to move because they're in pain. So, you know, the thing that I tell people is that, yeah, pain is one metric that I'm measuring, but that's why, you know, I'm asking a lot of questions on the first day, why I'm taking strength and range of motion measurements, why I ask you about your activity level. Because if we can change some of those and pain doesn't change, is that seen as a failure? Some people would say yes, I would say no, right? Like I'll take, for example, you know, the, the more kind of persistent issues that we, we see are kind of tendinopathy or tendinitis type related discomforts, which take a long time in terms of the rehab model to kind of get out of. And what I mean is that with that is people always ask, oh, how long is this going to take? I'm like, I don't know yet. I was like, Typically, you know, I will, you know, like if you've had experiencing discomfort for two, three, four years, we're not finishing in two weeks. Yes. Can we make big strides in those two weeks where maybe I can get you to, to squat without pain or, you know, maybe the, the exercise like, oh, I can only handle three exercises. Okay. Can I get you to handle five? It took me 20 minutes to do those five exercises. Can I get that to 10 minutes? Those are the things that I'm constantly hammering home with my patients that, hey, those small wins 
are on that road to recovery. Everybody wants to see that nice straight line, right? When in fact, rehab is a lot of up and down backwards. I'm like, as long as we're making forward progress, we're typically going to see the biggest change right away, right? Like people always kind of notice larger jumps in improvement, right? Like in your, and this is where, you know, I know I messed up a little bit, but like that neurological, right? That neurological strength gain, you typically see what in that like six week realm. And then that kind of progression, that kind of plateaus a little bit before we start to see those next big jumps. But it's that like neurological feedback that allows us to be like, oh, I'm feeling great or I'm achieving stuff at that same kind of level. And, and I think oftentimes it's, you know, on the healthcare provider as a physical therapist, like to note, and that's why I like the constant reassessment at every session, whether it be strength testing, range of motion, but like the questions that we ask, the patients will be able to give us the answers that we need. It's about asking the right questions. And that's, you know, something that I struggled with early on that every new clinician is going to do. Mm-hmm. But the better you are at talking with people and the better it is to like find out what makes them tick, what makes them go on. And, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, I've had plenty of patients in my career where, you know, I'm like, oh, how does everything feel? Okay. Like, how are things going? Okay. You know, like trying to break through that wall and, you know, being able to read people. Like some people just are quieter people right? Like, I think something that I learned from myself, like over, and I'm sure you've taken the, the different kind of personality and characteristic stuff. Yeah. And everyone automatically assumes, you know, oh, you must be an extrovert because you talk with people all day, or you're good at communicating with this. And, you know, I've even learned, I was like, oh, well, I, I think I'm an extrovert. I'm more kind of on that realm of introvert, extrovert. Like, when you're good, or you like doing or talking about what you're passionate about, it's easy to connect with people. Yeah. But you know, I'd much rather, you know, I'm a little bit more quiet or reserved. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I don't know how it is with your dynamic. I know we've talked about this, but sometimes my wife would be like, well, you're not the one, you know, like, why do I always have to lead the conversation? I'm like, I just spent the last nine hours trying to like talk to people, communicate with people. I was like, can you kind of lead this down the road a little bit? Like I'm kind of, I'm tapped out, you know? It's funny you say that. I did take a test and when it came back as introvert, I was like, I public speak. I can, I, yeah. like there's, and so I always considered myself an extrovert, but when I dug deeper to the definition, I really value alone time. Like I yep. crave, crave alone time. And you're right. Yep. It's I'm only extroverted when I'm within the realm of our field. Yep. As soon as I leave that, I'm a different person. So yep. you're absolutely right. You made a couple of really good points. And uh, you, you talked about the idea that, you know, there, it's not a linear progression. You guys jump yep. around a lot. For what I see, I describe it a lot like a staircase. Yep. And for my field, and that's the difference, I guess. Maybe that's a big difference between what you do and what I do is I don't want to see backwards in my field. Yep. Yep. Plateaus happen, but overall, it should be an upward progression. Pain doesn't allow that. No. And I talk a lot to people about the, and this is obviously just one corner of pain. Like you said, it is so complex. But I talk to my patients about the spectrum of pain. And again, the overlap that I think we have, and I want to go into this next, is asymmetry is not symptomatic right away. Where things become, but chronic pain can begin so far before that. So there is this realm where asymmetry exists. And I don't think, what people don't realize is this is very much neurological, right? People people learn how to, people carry a, a backpack over one shoulder for years. People sit and they drive in the same exact position for years. And the body learns these these main motion patterns, and that becomes their go-to. Part of reversal of discomfort or pain or whatever you want to call it 
is unlearning as much as it is learning. And part of it is, and maybe we can go into this next, is you can't strengthen what you have to unlearn first, which is why there is there is this this time period at the beginning that takes a lot of patience. So what you talked about earlier that I want to get into is the the role of the patient. So for us, it's, and you already talked about it, it's communication. I don't know what I don't know. And I can only handle what happens when I see in front of you. I can teach, I can educate, but in the end, I need communication, I need feedback, I need to know when you're frustrated, I need to know when you're happy, I need to know what's working, what's not working. There's so much I need to know to make this relationship build. What are some things you're asking out of your patients on day one to set yourself up for success? Mm -hmm. I ask them, you know, like kind of going back to that pain goal, I ask them, what is it that you're not doing right now that you would like to be doing? You know, and that kind of leads to like, depending on the person in front of me, right? Like maybe it's my, one of my older folks that's like, I want to be able to like bend down and play with my grandkid. I want to be able to walk a mile without it hurting. Right. And then I'll like step them back with different stuff or like, you know, I've had the opportunity in my career to work with, you know, high school, collegiate and professional level athletes. You know, I'm right next door to a CrossFit gym. I see some of the high level, you know, competitors that they have. And, you know, the thing that this will be a good kind of transition. I like this question because it's going to lead to some kind of roads, but you know, with, each person that's in front of me, I see it as a, as a unique challenge to allow them to see kind of the skill set that I have, right? Like with working, uh, I had one of my patients that, you know, was a CrossFit competitor today come in and, you know, I was talking with my student and my rehab aid assistant and I was like, my job is not to teach him how to snatch better. I was like, that's, he knows how to do that better than I do. Yeah, I know the mechanics and the, the things that are associated and I took you know, a continuing education course on how to, from physical therapists that do CrossFit level motion so that I know, okay, this is what I'm looking at. Like I'd never snatched before. I power cleaned very shittily back in high school, like <laughs> learning the correct mechanics of how to do, you know, a compound movement with weight, you know, takes a lot of skill set. So like now knowing what I know about the body and what, how to like, how that movement breaks down, I can through either video or form or setup know, okay, I'm not saying, oh, you're snatching wrong. I'm saying, okay, this is where I see maybe a fault in your movement or you're telling me you're having pain with this part of your movement. Then we can break that down to build you back up. But the point that I wanted to have with that, the tangent is that, you know, my job is to make the person in front of me better at what they're doing, right? My job is not to take the place of another person, right? You know, I'm not trying to take the place of the person's personal trainer, the person's performance coach. I'm trying to get that person better than they were that led them to that injury when they came in. And that doesn't even have to be for an athlete or somebody that's a high level person. Like something like the quote that you had from Dr. Caleb Burgess from Scott Morrison, the, I forget the exact quote, but you know, basically if we do too little for too long and then we try to do too much too quick, that's when our body experiences pain. And what that means is, let's say, you know, I have this conversation with people for the inciting event, right? Where if they can pinpoint like, oh, I did this and this is when I noticed things started to happen. If you were a runner, right? Like a lot of people, let's take COVID right now, right? A lot of people couldn't come to your gym, right? People's, you know, gyms were closed. So what did a lot of people start doing? They started working out at home. They started running a lot more. I don't care what kind of you know, shape you're in. If you didn't run as part of your 
workout or your strength or you know your cardiovascular, your endurance, and then you went and ran two miles, you bet your ass your body's going to feel some stuff that you haven't felt because you haven't used those muscles in the exact same way. Yes, are people that are more fit and have more of experience with active lifestyle, are they less likely to experience higher levels of discomfort? For sure, because your body's prepared for an activity like that. But I mean, I can't tell you how many people came in as things started to unfold and they're like, oh yeah, I used to run on the treadmill and now I ran outside, my knees are killing me, right? Why is that happening? I've been a runner my whole life. Well, have you only run on a treadmill? The surface that you're training on, concrete's way harder than treadmill training, right? The resistance that you have from outside forces way different than the, the propulsion of a treadmill that's giving you a little bit of that hip extension moment, right? There's all these things that the general population doesn't know or doesn't understand that we take into account. And that's why I ask all these questions, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, what the hell does that have to do with my knee pain? You know, and then I'll explain. I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's take the knee, for example, breaking it down. I'm like, well, your knee is very dependent on how the hip and foot and ankle joints move. Much more degrees of freedom at those areas. So, you know, the knee for, you know, right, we flex, which is bend, straighten, extend, little bit of rotation left and right. That's where a lot of the ligaments in our knee are kind of controlling to prevent. It's very dependent on the forces above and below it. So it's something in the physical therapy realm where we like to do and that we're taught in school is that the area that you have discomfort in, you want to look above and below that area to kind of look for muscle imbalances, joint segments, all that kind of stuff to kind of lead us okay, what may be contributing to that? And that kind of led me back to what you were talking about of, of kind of the asymmetries or relearning kind of the muscle stuff that we do. Something that I've kind of come across in my career that I've kind of shifted a little bit is that, you know, the importance or the hammering of certain like novelties, right? You know, posture this, asymmetry that. Those things are a, a crucial point of what I do, but I don't think they have as much importance as I once gave them, right? Like the biggest thing that people are shocked by, you know, and I can't take credit for this. I've, you know, I, I follow a lot of different physical therapists, physicians, chiropractors, strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers. I, I grab a lot of my information from other people. But something that I learned was that I tell patients like, hey, it's all right to slouch. And everyone's like, what did you just say? Like everyone tells me, the news tells me, like so-and-so told me, don't slouch, it's bad for you, Right. Now, the thing that I, I warn them, though, is I'm like, the thing that probably may have contributed to maybe your neck pain, back pain, whatever it is, staying in that position for prolonged periods of time. That's kind of the difference, right? Like, yeah, if somebody slouches for eight hours hunched over a computer for over and over and over, yeah, we're shortening the muscles on our front part of our body, lengthening the back part of our muscles. So now we don't have that kind of nice contractile reciprocal motion we you know everything's shortened on one end lengthened on the other so now our muscles on the back that are lengthened only want to work within this range the shortened ones only want to work within this range so trying to relax them or shorten them based on that relationship that we have that's where things can then spark even more pain where your body's used to that comfort zone right like the big thing i tell with my patients too it's like okay let's say your range of motion was here or your unaffected limb or side or whatever your range of motions, you know, 12 inches, right? Let's just use it for, you know, people that are obviously in terms, they're trying to visualize, right? So let's say your range of motion that you have is 12 inches, right? You have pain, now that's shortened to two inches, right? We're not going to get back that two to 12 on day one. 
if you've had dealing with this for a long time. We work in steps, right? My goal, if I can, from day one is to improve, let's use arbitrary numbers, right? Go from two to four, right? Now that comfort zone has been established. Maybe that next day you go back to that two, but now we try to build. So maybe that baseline of two establishes to three and then to four and then to five. So it's that incremental change. But let's say, you know, somebody doesn't get a lot of sleep or they eat like shit or they drink too much. Our body has all these other factors that are related to pain. It's not just that physical damage. What about the stress that we have, right? Right now, a lot of people are, you know, they don't know how they're going to put food on the table. They don't know what their job is like. They can't sleep, right? One of the more undervalued thing in our industry is sleep. And you know, everybody wants to talk about like, oh, what recovery skills, massage therapy, foam rolling, soft tissue work that I do, the hands-on treatment that I do. Yeah, that stuff's great for eliciting short-term effects. If you don't get sleep, I don't care what you're doing, your body doesn't have that recovery mode. Like you always say with a lot of your stuff, like the fuel that you put into your body that, you know, making sure that you're eating right. Like I'm getting a little outside of like my scope of practice, but like those kind of simple things need to be implemented. If, you know, I have a patient that just had a knee replacement and he's like, oh, I'm not sleeping. I'm in a ton of pain. I'm like, as we kind of get that knee moving, I was like, I promise you, once we get things moving a little bit better and you're able to sleep a little bit better, you're going to wake up a little bit different, right? You're not going to be needing, you know, the, the narcotics or the pain meds or, you know, you're not going to be tossing and turning as much. They do have, you know, a, a, a relationship. So I spend a lot of my time educating patients in a way that they don't really realize that I'm educating them, right? And it yeah. takes a long time. Yes. And, well, and I, and I don't think that's outside of the scope. I think, yeah. I think, I think you orthopedics, us, I think we have to talk about those things. I think this ties, and this ties into the question of the, the role of the patient, the role of my client, the role of our athletes. Uh, these are, these are vital things. Sleep is not about this arbitrary energy thing that people think it's about. This is hormonal. This is physiological. People need to sleep well. They need to eat a certain way, not because we're labeling good and bad foods, but because certain things are inflammatory and there are certain nutrients we need. And those nutrients go to how your muscles work. They go to how do we think they go to our, our energy. They, they feed into everything. So whether we are talking about pain discrepancies or performance enhancement, it doesn't matter. If we don't tie into these things, your program is going to suffer. I don't care how good your session is or my session is with, with our patients and clients. It's, it's not going to matter if over time we are not nailing these outside things. And I get the same looks. It's, hey, I'm going to lose weight. And I say, great. How's your sleep? And it's, I get cross-eyed, right? Like, I, why does that? Yeah. I don't understand why that matters. And I think this and that, and that goes right back to that. I love that you brought that quote up. Because I have a, a little pet peeve about, you know, and the, and the quote was, it was about, you know, doing too much too soon after yep. doing not enough for a lot is going to cause problems. There are, there's a, a realm of people that like to argue that and say, but our, you know, our ancestors didn't have to, to stretch and foam roll and do activation work before they ran from a saber tooth tiger. And I say, no, they didn't. But our ancestors also didn't stay awake too late watching TV, didn't sit at a desk for nine hours, and then didn't drive in a, an hour and a half of traffic on the way home either. We're in a different environment now, and the yep. body is, yes, it is made to move. It's made to be powerful. It's made to have performance, but we have taken ourselves out of those things. And, you know, I guess we can probably take that into something that a, a very positive thing I've seen over the my now almost 16 years doing this is there is definitely a, a merger of what you do and what I do and the physician side of things. 
yep. to where now there's a lot of carryover. There used to be there used to be this stupid competition, right? There used to be this really this kind of bad blood, which I guess it probably still exists to a certain extent. But between trainers for sure overstepping into the PT realm, that definitely mm-hmm. happens still way too often. And then claiming that PTs did the same thing. But the truth is there's so much overlap. There's so much that you and I both do now. Yep. Uh, on your side of the spectrum, what have you seen with that? How much more are you working with strength coaches? How much more are you working with performance coaches? Obviously, you and orthopedics always work together, but where do you see these gaps starting to close? I think just like anything else, like, you know, communication. I think, you know, talking with, you know, some of the orthopedic surgeons or, you know, their staff, obviously, it's hard to kind of get, you know, those men and women on the phone. They're super busy. They're seeing their patients, but kind of communicating like, Hey, we just started treatment. They're struggling with this or, you know, this is what we're working on or, you know, just kind of updating, you know, kind of closing that line of communication. It doesn't have to be a daily email every, you know, once in a while, you know, but kind of letting, you know, I, I always say it's a team, right? Obviously, you know, there still is this kind of ego driven thing where nobody wants to be told what to do. You know, like you were saying that, you know, trainers overstep the bounds and like what they do in the, you know, in the physical therapy realm or like, you know, Unless you have, you know, and this is something that a lot of people don't know, and this is going to piss, you know, maybe some people on your side of it, unless you have the certification, obviously, like helping somebody stretch, it's not a big deal. You should not be doing joint mobilizations, manipulations, touching, like that kind of stuff is not within your scope of practice. Just like mine is not, I can give generalized information of like, hey, you know what you should do? You should eat better, you know, like have more water, eat more vegetables, eat more fruit. I'm not a dietitian or nutritionist. I'm not going to count your macros. That's outside of my scope of practice. I think too often, and this goes for all other stuff too. Like I'm, you know, I know very basic pharmacology. I am not allowed to tell a patient people like, Oh, should I stop taking X, Y, and Z? I was like, I can't give you that. You have to talk to your physician, you know? And I just say, you like, with my experience, I was like, this is how I experience when I use stuff. I was like, I was like, but I cannot tell you what to do with that kind of stuff. You know, just like I'm not going to tell, you know, I've had uh, patients that, you know, work with trainers or performance coaches and like, my trainer told me this, should I do this or that? I'm like, I'm not here to change what you are doing. Like if I were talking to you, I'm not here to change your program. I'm here to say, okay, where are you still experiencing pain with your program? Okay, here, here's a modification or here's where I think, you know, we need to make a change right now in, you know, like in this particular thing, or like, we need to talk about like, okay, he's experienced, you know, patient X or, you know, patient Z is experiencing some pain with reverse lunge or the uh, forward walking lunges. You know, what I'm seeing in the clinic is X, Y, and Z. What I trialed with them was that they had less pain with reverse lunges. Is that something that you can adopt into your program with them that would help them kind of plateau this or maybe instead of, you know, walking lunges, maybe we do some modified range of motion static lunges so that they can build that tolerance up to mm-hmm. get back to those walking lunges, right? Really kind of not trying to bulldoze or power over and being like, you're wrong, right? Nobody wants to be told they're wrong, right? Like building that kind of rapport, right? Like even when people are like, my doctor told me not to do X, Y, and Z. And if it's something that I don't believe, you know, I don't like bash that other person's no. thing, right? Because they might have, you know, some tie to that person. And I'm not here, you know, like, I wasn't in the room. I didn't hear that context of conversation. Things can get misinterpreted. You're now you're playing a game of telephone. Yes. I'm like, okay, here's my, here's my opinion on what you just brought up to me. Right. 
And these yes. are my thoughts on this and kind of navigating it that way, you know, so that we don't have that kind of butting heads or, you know, to kind of communicate more effectively. But I think it boils down to just kind of talking, like communicating, sending an email, sending a text, asking permission of the patient. Like, can you give me your contact info of so-and-so? I'd like to make sure we're on the same page. Right. And it's not the patient's job to translate what we do to each other. I, they, no. Most will not be capable. So I, of course there's going to be miscommunication if that's the way. So I think, and I guess this role falls on both people, but anytime someone is working with a PT, a chiropractor, going to see an ortho, I used to ask, I used to say, Hey, well, let them know that I'm willing to communicate if, if they want to, to make your transition better. Yep. I stopped asking. You should tell them that we should talk. And, and, and shame on any professional, my side, medical side, rehab side, yep. doesn't matter. Shame on any professional that doesn't want to have that communication with the other side because they clearly don't have the best interest of the patient at heart, in my yep. opinion. There are so many things that we can do with each other's knowledge. I mean, you and I have done this now. So I, I, have, I have a handful of, of professional basketball players that I've, I've sent to you on purpose. One, because you can help them, but two, because you can give me vital information back that only helps me program. And then same the other way, right? I can tell you what I see in a program, and then you get to take that into the rehab side. Yep. So now we've enhanced both our sides. So for those listening, if you're in any type of rehab program, strengthening program, whatever it is, if you have different professionals working with you, get them together. And it's, it's your choice. If you're the patient, they don't get a say in whether they want to communicate or not. I have someone else I need you to talk to. I need to make sure you two are on the same page so I'm getting the best care. That should be something everyone is doing. Yep, absolutely. I, I think, you know, and this is where, you know, I think a thing that I've learned in my career is, you know, a former colleague of mine was like, you know, I used to get really frustrated when my patients weren't getting better. They were still having pain. And I was like, you know, I don't get this. Like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like, yeah, I took that, you know, onto me. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I didn't ask the right questions. Maybe I didn't, you know, give them the right exercises. Maybe, you know, I overlook something, but at the end of the day too, and this, you know, part of it is on me in terms of like asking the questions better, you know, follow up all that stuff. But the patient is responsible for wanting a better outcome. And if they're not willing to put in the work, I'm sure just like you hammer in with your mm -hmm. clients, if you're not willing to meet me halfway and put in the work on your end, this is going to be unsuccessful in your eyes. And then, yes. you know, you're going to hear this term, oh, I failed PT. Okay, yeah, maybe sometimes like, yeah, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm sure I've done it this year. Or like I haven't gotten a patient to where they thought they wanted to be, you know. But, you know, like I, I can tell right away too when I give patients, you know, homework or their home exercise program or things to do, something that I used to do quite a bit early on was be like, okay, here are, you know, all these things that I need you to do. Here's all the stuff, you know, I don't give as many things right away for two reasons. One, if I give somebody like eight things to do, chances are they're not going to do them or they're not going to do them properly. Or I guess three things, they might start experiencing some pain if I haven't seen them do the motion enough or the exercise yeah. or the movement. Right. And they might not know which one kind of flared things up. And they might just willy-nilly be like, oh, he told me to do three sets of 10 of all of these, or these are the instructions that I was given. You know, so I usually tell people, hey, I'm going to start you, even you know, some of my higher level people, I'm like, hey, I'm just going to give you these two couple simple things. See how this changes your response. 
even wrapping back into the pain thing, right? Like, well, how intense is your pain on that scale? Has it gone down? How long does your pain last? How long does it take to get brought on? Mm-hmm. You know, is the frequency, the duration, the intensity, are the, you know, like, is it lasting, you know, it, you, oh, the first rep of my squat hurt. Okay, what happens at um, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? Can we get through a full set of eight to 12 or whatever, you know, the prescription might be? Oh, you know what? The third one actually felt okay or it got a little bit better. Something that I used to, you know, do it a lot early in my career was, you know, just my, you know, misunderstanding of pain was, oh, it hurts. Stop it. Don't do it. Oh, if it hurts to squat overhead, don't do overhead squats. No, that's not what, you know, people come to see me for. They want to get back to doing what they like. So it's about, okay, maybe we have to modify this. Maybe, yeah, maybe for a couple of days a week, we have to ramp down or eliminate something from their exercise regimen to calm the tissue down or calm the irritated area down because, their body is going through an experience of pain and it doesn't like that for whatever reason it is. So it's about reframing that narrative, but also again, re-exposing their body to something. I can't tell you how many, I would say more older folks that I've seen over my career. They're like, Oh, so-and-so told me not to squat. It's bad for my knees. Well, how do you go to the bathroom? Yes. (laughs) Right. How do you sit down on the toilet? That's a squat, right? Yeah, maybe it's not the the squat that people think like, oh, I'm not like throwing around weight. Every time you get up and out of a chair, that is some form of squat. So, you know, like, okay, I can teach you how to do this a little bit better, right? But uh, then again, like everyone's goals are different. Everyone's squat's going to look a little bit different, Mm -hmm. perhaps. You know, it's about kind of what they want to get out of it or what their goal is, right? And that's the thing too is that I think too often in – you know, and I've been guilty of this too. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of other, you know, trainers, rehab professionals, you know, trying to pigeonhole patients to know like one lump sum. Right. And that's why, you know, I, I think something, you know, our company does well or that, you know, I think I pride myself on is that the individual care that, and I know you're great at this too, is that, yeah, you have some fundamentals that you follow, but the individualized care that, you know, our patients and clients need is super important. And, you know, the way that we attack their programming, their exercise prescription, their rehabbing, yeah, it may look similar, but, you know, I'll have 10 people that come in with, you know, similar mechanisms of injury, quote unquote, or, you know, like I have back pains, I bent over and lift something. All right. Well, yeah, maybe, you know, the soft tissue work looks a little bit similar, but like the way that I'm going to give you exercises is going to be very different on so many different factors and the way that you progress through treatment and and I know you had a question about like, how long does rehab take? Well, I don't know. It depends on what, you know, a lot of factors like, are you following your exercise program? Are you staying active? Are you sleeping right? Are you eating right? Are you willing to put in the work on your side? I don't know where I saw this analogy. This kind of ties in slight tangent, but I, I found myself laughing the first time I saw this a couple of years ago. It was a physical therapist, I believe, that I, I saw the quote from. And it was the way that they explain the importance or adherence to an exercise program in the rehab setting. A lot of patients will ask, like, how long do I need to do, you know, this stuff for? How long do I need to do these exercises for, this stuff? How long do I need to do physical therapy for? And I always say, well, you know, these exercises are a a foundation of you're going to have to do this, some form of this for the rest of your life. That doesn't mean you're going to see me for the rest of your life. You know, and the way that this analogy worked, it was the way that they had alluded to their patient. It's like, 
well, do you go see the dentist just twice a year and then don't brush your teeth? Right. Would you just take your uh, blood pressure medication on the days that you went to see your checkup with your physician? No, like your teeth brushing is part of your dental hygiene. Your blood pressure medication is part of your physician rehab program. The exercises and the stuff that I'm implementing with you is, should be part of your a lifestyle change, Yes. right? Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be every day for hours and hours, but you need to move more at a moderate level intensity. And, and you brought up, you know, something about like ancestors or people like, well, back in the day, you know, our parents were manual laborers, so they didn't have to do X, Y, and Z, or they took care of seven kids. And everyone thinks physical work is the same as working out and stressing the system. Just like everything else, your body adapts, right? That construction worker that can hurl around, you know, you know, a jackhammer or, you know, a sledgehammer, their body's been conditioned to do that. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't have other forms of physical activity to stress their system. Their body is adapted to doing those movements so they're not getting the same stress strain physiological response right. that they would maybe doing some squats or some other sort of physical activity. Right. I mean, and they probably need those things to offset Absolutely. the same activity they're doing every single day. And this brings us, we were going to talk about the idea of reoccurrence of pain mm -hmm. and that, and you, you nailed it. Uh, it's if pain is your symptom, that, that's why pain is good. Pain yeah. tells us something is wrong and we do it. But as soon as the pain dissipates, people get off of the plan. Yep. We see it all the time. Uh, and again, whatever people's opinions are on, on foam rolling or stretching, whatever that it's irrelevant for now, if something worked as one of my favorite quotes too, you don't get to do what you want to do. You get to do what works. Yep. If something works, it works. And yes, you're probably going to have to stick with it because if I have a client who has undergone a, a couple of knee replacements, there's a certain level of upkeep he is going to have to do forever to keep those knees right. I mean, and, and, he, and hopefully, because yep. if not, he's going to end up back in your office every single time. But there yep. are things he can do to try to stay out of your office and to try to keep progressing. But you're, yep. you're right. So maybe let's talk about that a little bit is, you know, susceptibility to re-injury. Why are people so susceptible to re-injury from, from both chronic and acute pain? Well, I think a, a big proponent of that is changing things, right? Like, so you were talking about before kind of the way that we, you know, do too much too fast, right? Like the volume, the adaptation to training, to exercise, our body is very good at remembering our triggers, right? So something that I tell with patients more, I'll start with the, the persistent or chronic pain first, right? And this kind of ties into the, the absence of tissue damage and why we still experience pain. Let's take, you know, I kind of like to allude to the, you know, the Pavlov dog and the operant conditioning, right? Like we have a stimulus response, stimulus response. We take away the stimulus. We still know the response based on, you know, ringing that bell and then we salivate for food, right? A common complaint I hear is I have knee pain when I walk up and down the stairs, right? So there, that patient's body knows it does not like walking up and down stairs. So what do I do as part of my rehab training? We do stair training, like step different step training. We find what's least provocative and then we push it, right? Because the only way that we can kind of get back to that level is that we need to progress into things. We need to be okay pushing people in uncomfortable levels, but this is where that kind of skill set and that education. There's a, another analogy I like to use for kind of training with or around pain, right? Like I, I said, I used to tell people to stop doing an exercise if it hurt. 
Now I ask more questions. Okay, is it the same type of pain you're experiencing? If you stop that exercise, does it go away immediately? What level does it get to? Like I'll tell people to use a stoplight, right? Like green, we're in that zero to three out of 10 realm. Maybe that yellow light's a four to six range and that red zone is seven to 10. You know, so we're in that zero like, hey, you know what? Zero to three, have at it. Go see how you're, you know, again, it's all tailored around the experience too of who's in front of me. Have we explained yeah. stuff? Have we gone through this kind of thing? Have I explained why you might be experiencing stuff? Are you in that yellow zone? Like, do we need to kind of, all right, maybe we need to modify your range of motion, your tempo, your weight, your resistance, your rest in between exercises, all that kind of stuff. And in that red zone, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm starting to have pain again. Like, did we push it too much? Did, you know, did we do too much in consecutive days? Maybe they're getting back to a running program or maybe they're getting back into the gym, you know, like maybe lifting or, you know, pushing, you know, things on back to back days, your body's not ready for that yet. Maybe we need to take that rest day in between as opposed to, you know, two days on one day off or three days on however the programming looks maybe we you know it's one day on one day off one day on one day off consistency is the biggest thing right we want to build that consistency with people mm -hmm. if you go balls to the wall every time you work out and you you know this mythical unicorn of like i didn't work out unless i sweat my ass off and uh, i'm yeah. sore as hell that i can't walk after leg day that's not the ultimate goal right your body is still working like yes you may experience some soreness but unless you know how to handle that you know, and it takes a long time. And like, even for myself, there's time where my body's pissed off. I'm in pain. And I'm like, what the hell did I do? You know, like I didn't do anything. I'm like, oh yeah, well maybe I, you know, was crawling around with the kids too much or like, you know what? I slept like crap last night or like today, like I've been at work now for 12 hours. Like I'm going to go home and probably not eat the best meal I can, or I'm going to scrounge something together. So I got to be back here tomorrow morning at, you know, six o'clock for my first patient. I know what's going to happen. So I'm like, yeah, I might wake up a little cranky. My body might feel a little like irritated. Right? Like this is the longest I've sat all day. I don't sit that long. Right. Right. Like talking to you though, but I know that, you know, my body doesn't like it. So I know how to anticipate that. So I say the, the biggest part of my job is being a facilitator. I always tell people I do my job. Well, if you don't need me, you know, after a certain point of time, if you're still here and again, very situationally dependent, but like for the more acute or, you know, less than three months, I would say that the typical progression of how I see patients is depending on the severity level, usually twice a week for the first couple of weeks, two to four, two, you know, three weeks. And then we kind of track progress that, that reassessment. And hopefully, you know, we've established a program. We've kind of get them to change some things up. So then we scale that to once a week and then once every other week and then maybe once a month. And then, you know, as we scale back, maybe they have to come back in twice, you know, if, if they've kind of done something or some flare up has happened. And then we kind of, you know, uh, attack that. But everybody's like, well, how long do I need to do this? Well, we'll see. It depends. And I, and I give them a range of like, this is what typically happens. But, you know, somebody that I, I see that, you know, is recovering from, you know, a tib-fib fracture, so lower shin, lower leg bone fracture. And they're like, well, how long do I? I was like, well, you've been in a boot and haven't put, put any weight on your foot in three months. Like, it's going to take some time for you to just get comfortable putting weight on your foot and walking. Yes. Yeah, it, it depends. It also depends on how much you do, right? There's both ends of that. So the bone's got to heal. And yep. how long, like, that's, that's got to heal and that's got to, the body's going to kind of take over. But there are things 
you can do to go the faster end of the spectrum. So if you're annoyed by the exercises, if you're annoyed by the process, do it all. Do it all. Make it as fast of a process as is physiologically possible. Christian McCaffrey of the, the Panthers was talking about it today. He just got hurt. Yep. He's, got, he's got a four to six week window. And he said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make it faster than that. And that is a thing. He, he can do everything in his power to make sure it is closer to that four-week side of the spectrum than it is six, seven, eight, re-aggravating. Not coming back too early to re-aggravate either, but there are things right. you can do. And, and again, it's, it's, it's on the rehab side, it's on the performance side. How fast will it take me to lose this weight? How fast do you want to lose it? And how willing are you to do the things that will speed up the process safely and healthily? But, but that's, it's a lot of it that's under your control. Absolutely. And you're, I'm glad you brought up that point. Like even with somebody, a high level athlete, like Christian McCaffrey, right? Uh, something that I forgot to mention about, you know, kind of the, the pain kind of thing and the trigger, I kind of went off on a tangent, but our body is good at remembering what hurts, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't watch and see how he got hurt. I know he had a, you know, an ankle sprain, but our body is good at remembering what it doesn't like. Mm-hmm. So back to, you know, like, Let's say for him, for example, right? Like let's say he was cutting and planting. In that four to six week realm or whatever, our body physiologically needs to heal whatever area is injured from a, a physiological or you know anatomical standpoint. That ligament can be you know stronger than it is during this rehab point. But maybe he remembers like, you know what? Last time I cut on that hash mark, it really hurt like hell. So maybe he's a little bit more timid or maybe he likes going left mm-hmm. instead of right or whatever the scenario may be. Same thing with you know, the patients that I see, if they know that their body does not like a certain motion, our body anticipates that and will react accordingly. That's why we have to break down and we have to get back to doing the things that our body doesn't like, but in a progressive mode. If you don't like it when you lunge, okay, guess what we're going to be doing? Lunges of some sort, maybe not the first day, but we have to get back to doing what your body didn't like and reframing the narrative around it, letting you realize like, hey, you know what? Build some confidence in your body. Like our brain and mind is a huge, 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 you know, can be a very positive and very negative thing. Like words that we use with people, like the encouragement versus being like, oh, well, your knees are shit or your back is blah, blah, blah. Or like, you don't have a good whatever. Like, and this is actually a good segue into my next point where a lot of People will come in and be like, oh, well, I, like my MRI or my x-ray says that there's nothing wrong. Why am I having pain? Well, I have patients that are older that have, you know, quote unquote, the worst x-ray they've ever seen and have no pain, right? So that's just another example of how tissue damage or, you know, imaging doesn't always correlate with pain or doesn't cause pain. Yes, a lot of times they can like be connected, but we don't need all that stuff to kind of validate. And I I think that's the hardest thing to navigate in this realm is that people want a quick answer. They want a simple solution. And that's oftentimes not the case. There's a lot of things that go into it. And again, sleep, nutrition, stress, like all that stuff can manifest in the physical experience of pain, right? Phantom limb pain, right? Like you don't have that limb there anymore. Like that's just an, I don't know... You know, I don't work in that rehab setting, so I don't know a ton of it, but I remember just like the way that our brain remembers that we Mm -hmm. had something there. So that experience and knowing like, oh my God, I don't have that there. Like that sensation that we feel, that experience is so powerful that that's what, you know, can kind of overpower and lead us and, you know, 
for lack of a better word, cripple our ability to kind of get past that like mental roadblock. Uh, that, that stuff is fascinating, by the way. Phantom I mean, limb stuff. It, yeah. But, but it just proves that not everything is purely muscular. There is a remembrance. There is I call it the blueprint. Yep. Once your body has a blueprint, it remembers having two arms. It's going to remember that second arm for a while. And the fact that that is a real physical manifestation is, I always think that's fascinating. I love the point you keep bringing up about awareness. You know why you're going to wake up feeling a little worse tomorrow than, than you normally do. Same with me. My alarm's going off at 4 a.m. Tomorrow's probably not going to be the highest energy day, right? It's just, I'm, I'm already, I'm already past my bedtime. But if I think that's, it's such a learning thing. If people can just take time to think, okay, I don't feel great today. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. What did yesterday look like? What did two days ago look like? What could be the occurrences that led to feeling how I feel? That is where we can start actually making actionable behavior change differences. Okay, well now let me try this. Oh, when I drank more water for a week straight, I started feeling better. When I, when I slept an extra half an hour a day, that actually made a big difference. When I slept on this mattress versus the couch, when I don't fall asleep watching TV, there, there are so many things that you can have awareness of. It just takes the time to think about it just for a little bit. Yep. So, so I, I, I love that because you tie it into rehab and knowing when do you feel pain? Well, not just why do you feel pain right this second, what did the last three days look like that could be leading to why you're feeling the pain you do? Oh, yep. you sat an extra six hours a day for two days because you're an accountant in the middle of tax season. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not surprised your low back acted up a little bit. Here are some things, but yeah, so I, I, I love that point. Cousin, this has been, this has been awesome. I'm, I'm looking at time and, and as always, I want to respect my, all my guest time. How can people find you? Let's get into that. Uh, so you can check out our website, www.bereact, that's B-E-R-E-A-C-T.com. I am located at a River North location. Our uh, social media handle for this location is at River North React. Yeah. All one word, lowercase. You can actually email me. My email address is fcalibres at bereact, B-E-R-E-A-C-T.com. I'll get back to you. You can give us a call. 312-643-1104. Like I said, we have four Chicagoland locations. We have two in the suburbs, Deerfield and Wilmette. We all you know, practice using the Revy method, a, a whole body approach to kind of physical therapy. We are a little different than kind of the, the larger kind of fields where we spend a little bit more time with our patients. So we're kind of a smaller boutique kind of physical therapy realm where we kind of cut aside you know, that, that time to spend with patients. Yeah, well, I, and I'll have all this stuff in the show notes so people can find it. For everyone listening, honestly, putting aside the, the relationship we have, I've gone to Franco when I've had pain. I send my most valued clients and athletes to Franco when, when they have pain because you're very good. And, and you're, you're a model of React, but you're also just, you're just, it's a testament to yourself. So thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for being on. This is great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And one last thing I'll get hammered by our marketing team if I don't say we yeah. do offer free consultations you know via telehealth or in person so if you're like hey I don't really want to pay or I'm not sure what to do like come sit down talk with me for 15 minutes if you're not sure like hey do I even need to be in physical therapy right now do I need to be seeing you like I'm not sure what happened you know I've I've had people come in and be like you know what I don't know if you need to be I was like yeah there's always stuff I can help you with but I was like you may have just like strained your back like if you're still having this pain in a couple of days, come back and we'll take care of it. Yes. Yeah. But, but yes, thank you for having me. 
I appreciate this. This was great. You'll have to kick my ass someday. I have to get into the into the gym to see you. We'll get you back in there, and we'll get you back on here. I already have a few ideas of uh, of, a round, of a round two coming maybe uh, early next year. Okay. All right. Well, you stay put for a second, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.